0: you ready yep are we rolling 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 get those doggies rolling rawhide
1: right? this is
2: the greg cody show with greg cody pardon it here's your host the oldest man to ever start a podcast greg
1: cody
0: hey everybody Welcome back to The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody, episode nine. We're thrilled that you guys are here. We're happy to be here. And you know what else we're happy about? We're happy to be talking about actual sports, a real event. For I think the first time in the two-month history of this podcast, which was born into a pandemic, we actually have an actual live sporting
1: event that just happened. It's called the NFL Draft. I don't know about you, But I digested this draft this year so much more than ever. Like, I'm was, i typically the kind of NFL fan that I'm really into the first couple rounds. But, you know, usually once you get into the day two, day three, it's not a lot of guys you've heard of. So I'm just kind of usually checking updates on my phone at that point. But this draft, I digested every second of this draft. I didn't stop watching it. Had it on my TV all weekend. I loved it. It was a
0: voraciously consumed draft. I think I read the ratings over the previous year were up like 37 or 42 percent, something like that. I mean, it was huge. We, we were all tuning in from coast to coast to watch Roger Goodell in his basement. Uh, it, it, you know, it was amazing. It was a virtual draft. It was a, a first of a kind. I think part of the the draw of it was that curiosity factor, not just that we're bored as a nation from being cooped up, but, you know, to see how the NFL would pull this off. Uh, there was all the speculation, you know, were, were there going to be hackers coming into it? Uh, were there going to be technological glitches? And really, it went off remarkably smooth, you know, and, and, and some of the, the imperfections, I thought, were actually endearing, you know, where you see the head coach's, you know, Labrador retriever trotting and <laughs> trotting across the kitchen in the background. I thought they were neat things to watch.
1: Yes, I thought that there were some lavish setups. There were some not so lavish setups. I thought, cliff kingsbury kind of won the draft with his house set up he basically what you imagine when you look at Cl- cliff kingsbury he had that right. kind of house zach taylor of the Bengals looked like he was you know operating out of like a, a marriott business center with like awful carpeting and like a sad little desk so like right. there was like some yin and yang to uh, you know the setups of this draft
0: yeah there there was the one snapshot of um uh, belichick's dog sitting in a chair staring at a at a computer screen it looked like a Belichick's dog looks like a wolf or something I don't know what it is but, but is, is his dinner table like a checkerboard I don't know but it, it, it the visual made it look like the dog was actually making the picks for the Patriots which they didn't even draft a quarterback so maybe the dog was making the picks for the <laughs> Patriots but I thought the Dolphins won the draft in one very real way and we're going to talk a lot about the Dolphins because this is a Miami-based podcast but also because the Dolphins had the most picks they had three first-round picks for the first time ever, and, and they were going after the, the controversial guy, the, the guy who everybody was up or down about, Tua Tagovailoa, the quarterback. They pulled the string, uh, you know, gambled, smartly gambled, I thought, and got Tua with a fifth overall pick, got him without trading up to third. And I think that's the get of the draft. I think, he's, I, I think his career arc is, is higher potentially than Joe Burrow's.
1: Did you say they pulled the string and got him? Is that a saying? I don't know. It, it, what did I mean? Uh, <laughs> the
0: string. They didn't pull strings to get him. They, they got him fair and they square. Pulled the <laughs> plug?
1: I don't know what you were no, going for they, there.
0: <laughs> well, pulling a string means you're like finagling and, and sort of cheating, and they didn't do that. They had the fifth <laughs> pick and, and got him. So uh, I don't know what I meant by that. But, yeah, I thought um, the the interesting thing about the Dolphins draft is – it's not about right now. It's a forward-looking draft. It's a draft that tells you this is a two-year plan because they also have a lot of draft picks next year, mm-hmm. including two first-rounders. So this is very much a two-year plan. And is a guy, you know, they're going to redshirt him. Uh, I don't think you're going to see him much, perhaps at all, as a rookie. Um, you know, they're going to ride with Fitzpatrick again and, and just let Tua completely heal and completely learn, and, and not rush him an iota. and iota. And that's also the case with their other first-round picks. Um, the tackle Austin Jackson from USC, you know, he's, he's got a lot of upside. He, he's got beautiful size, but he was inconsistent uh, in college a little bit, and he might have been a reach at, uh, at the 18th pick. So he's a guy that they feel like they can coach up and not push, but eventually he's going to be that great tackle.
1: I agree. I mean, obviously I think anyone who's heard me talk over the last few months has known that I was all in on them getting Tua. So I'm very excited about that. Obviously I think most doll fans are the two picks that I like from their draft. And I feel like the first one was kind of controversial of these two picks, the cornerback. I'm not going to, I'm not going to really attempt at saying his name. I call him Noah, <laughs> the guy yes. they got with the 30th overall pick uh, people. I saw a lot of doll fans very obviously because they have Xavier Howard and they had just signed Byron Jones. They have the two most expensive cornerbacks in the league. So you're thinking, that's not a need for them. Why are they drafting a cornerback in the first round? This team last year played more man than almost anybody in the league. I know they were top five in man yeah, coverage.
0: They, they were fourth in the league in, in
1: man coverage. And this guy is a man cover corner. The kind of defense that Flores wants to run has to have a lot of guys out there playing man coverage. So I just think you need three cover guys on the field if you want to be elite at covering people. And I think that, that, that this bolsters their secondary. I think it already was an obviously above average secondary, but I think this makes it even better. And the safety out of Texas, Brandon Jones. Everything you read about this guy, this guy has a chance to be a legit starter, and they got him 70th overall. I just think that's good value. Yes,
0: and, and I am about to take a shot here and pronounce the cornerback's name. I would say it's Noah Igbenogwe, all righty. Good for you. Okay. We're going to just, we're, we're going to ride with that pronunciation. It may be wrong. And if it is, I apologize, Noah, but he fits that same category I said of, of a project. Uh, he's very young. You know, he's very fast. He, he's the son of two Olympians from Nigeria and he's got a lot of upside, but he's also pretty raw. He was a wide receiver that they converted to cornerback in college. So he's going to need some coaching up and here again with Tua With Austin Jackson and with the cornerback, all three first round picks, you have guys who they hope down the road are going to be great, but they're not going to count on them heavily this coming season. And I think that's sort of foresightful. You know who I really like in this draft is their first pick in the second round, the guard Robert Hunt Mm -hmm. from Louisiana. Um, Not LSU, Louisiana. He's a small school kid but um i think are crew. you
1: are you only saying that you like that pick because you had him on your list of people they should go after in the second round he he <laughs> you know that that may
0: play a factor but uh, uh you know mel Kuyper junior who researches this kind of thing year round uh loved the pick uh, gave the hunt pick uh, an a plus uh he he had a 79 prospect grade from scouts incorporated which is good. I mean, that's a solid grade for a second round pick. You know, you could have made an argument that Robert Hunt was first round quality. Why wasn't he?
1: Why wasn't he? What was the reason that he slipped?
0: You know, maybe it's that that he's not from a power five conference. Uh, You know, he's a small school kid. I I, I don't know. But um, I think the Dolphins first five or six picks were pretty
1: solid. They had multiple fifth-round picks, and one of them they just swapped right as they were about to pick. They gave the pick to San Francisco, and in return, they got running back Matt Breida. Now, I had read a bunch of stuff that they were in. They tried to trade for Todd Gurley that they had called the Jaguars about Leonard Fournette. Now, I'm curious. Matt Breida, I was a little confused by what the strategy was here. Like, what what did you make of that pick? Their leading rusher last year was a 38-year-old quarterback. And they still have that guy, too. So they they have that guy in their running back room too.
0: Right. But they, uh, you know, four months ago, they could have re-signed Larry Zonka at age 70 and it would have been an upgrade uh, on the running back room. Oh, you bring up a good point. Position change? (laughs) Ryan Fitzpatrick? As a running back? Yeah. You know what? That guy's, I was so impressed with Fitzpatrick last year. That guy puts his nose down, doesn't mind being hit, doesn't mind being hit hard. He came through last year for the Dolphins. Uh, You could say that he was so good that he cost them Joe Burrow. That's fine. That's fair. But I I like Ryan Fitzpatrick coming back as the main guy and being the tutor and the mentor for Tua Tagovailoa because Ryan Fitzpatrick is a brilliant football man. You know, he's had a journeyman career. Uh, He's not a Hall of Famer. You know, his stats, his his career timeline sort of reminds me of Vinny Testaverde. You know, you look at the stats and they're very impressive, but he's been on a lot of losing teams Ryan Fitzpatrick is and that's partly why he's never gotten the respect
1: he deserves I'm with you everything you just said about Ryan Fitzpatrick agreed a pro a guy you love to have in your locker room having said that as soon as he loses two games in a row hell out of here Too <laughs> to get in there
0: yeah there's there's going to be a, a real appetite to get to in Tua in there even if it's prematurely but I I really think that um, they're going to be cautious with that a quick uh, point on the the edge rushers they took two in the fifth round uh, because i didn't think edge rush was the priority for them because of free agency right you didn't say know, that they,
1: before i have to give you credit you did yeah, say yeah i that.
0: mean they, they signed three guys in free agency who combined for like 21 sacks last year that's a that's a nice upgrade in that room uh, so so that was no longer an emergency i thought the emergency was uh, in the draft was the quarterback a running back uh, offensive line offensive line and a safety, and they address all of those needs. So um, it, it's a solid draft to me.
1: Um, uh, are you prepared to give the Dolphins a grade right now, or is it too soon <laughs> for that? Are you still digesting? How many exactos did you get in your first round? Oh, thank you for teaming me up on
0: that. Uh, I got seven, and uh, Mel Kiper Jr. got six. Now I'm not saying I know more than Mel because he this is a year round cottage industry for him, and it's a it's a two week flurry of guesswork for me. But uh, I did out exacto him.
1: seven to six. It's pretty funny. (laughs) And it's just a a perfect example of, I think, Greg Cody, that you're bragging about beating Mel Kuyper Jr. when you probably used Mel Kuyper Jr.'s mock drafts as part of your research for your draft picks.
0: (laughs) Well, I won't lie. Of course, I look at the mock drafts that I respect. I I look at Kuyper and McShay and a few others, but I purposely try not to pick who they pick. You know, I like to vary it up a little bit. You know, am I, you know, doing film study and clocking guys in the 40? Uh, no, uh, you know, I rely on the other people to do that legwork, but I do spend a lot of time looking at, at team needs and, um, teeds, teeds. That's right. And, uh, and so I had a, a pretty good uh, mock draft, but it's all guesswork. You know, if, if me sitting here in Miami, is, is going to out exacto Mel Kuiper Jr. That, that doesn't say I'm great or he had an off draft. That just tells you that it's the whole thing's a crapshoot no, no matter how much, you know, how much how <laughs> you know. Right? I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, I want to mention the, the UM Hurricanes in the draft.
1: Do we have anything going on in this episode today besides us yammering? Oh, yes, yes. We actually have a couple of
0: interesting guests. I would call these two fun interviews. Number one, we have Bonus Kirchens. We have Tim Kirchens. And his son, Jeff, who's a Las Vegas DJ who sounds eerily
1: like Tim. He's not a DJ. Fun. He's a, a morning radio host.
0: Well, isn't that the same thing as a DJ? Yeah, but like,
1: I think an old school radio DJ was just a guy that played like mostly records. You're spinning wax. Like, this guy's a host of a show. You're right. He, you're right. He's a host.
0: He's not a DJ. But, uh, but that was a fun interview, talking about baseball and, and, and all that stuff. Basically, and
1: then, basically the, the Kirchens joined Greg and I on the Levitard and Friends Mystery Crate podcast. And we had such a fun conversation with them that we didn't have time to fit it all there. So we took some good stuff that we didn't want to put there. So it's, it's, it's not reruns. Basically what I want you to know is you're not hearing the same interview that you heard on mystery. Great. If you already heard that you're getting bonus unheard Jeff and Tim Kirchin on this week's Greg Kodiak. episode. yes,
0: yes. Fresh Kirchin. And, um, and the other guy we have on uh, a great friend of mine, Clark Spencer, uh, a long time Miami Herald baseball writer who retired bought a piece of a racehorse, and struck gold. Uh, Clark's racehorse turned out to be uh, one win away from qualifying for the eventual Kentucky Derby. And we talked to Clark about that because it's a great human interest story. I mean, most guys retire and and take up golf. This guy retired, got into horse racing, and happened to get a great racehorse. It's a cute, uh, not a cute, it's a heartwarming story. I'm going to love uh, Clark uh, sharing it with you.
1: When you first said acute, I thought maybe you were talking about like the angle size and it was like a small story, like it's an acute story.
0: <laughs> right. He bought a miniature horse is what happened. The horse is like <laughs> the size of a German shepherd and therefore the jockey, he's got to get a jockey that weighs 45 pounds. It's really an extraordinary story in thoroughbred racing. I'm surprised it hasn't gotten much more attention. Um, Clark Spencer looks like he
1: could be a jockey.
0: He is wiry. I wish I were wiry like that. Uh, gosh. Anyway. How, would
1: you just, how would you describe yourself?
0: Beer gut e. <laughs> uh, I don't consider myself overweight, really, but the beer gut. You know, i uh, don't get into that. Why'd you bring that up? <laughs> now I'm going to get on the scale after we do this, and it's going to be depressing. Uh, oh Lord. Um, I want to do a quick hit on on the Miami Hurricanes in the draft. There weren't many. There were four, and they were all on the third day. You know the
1: Wow. The- there were actually four. I digested the entire draft. And I, the one, I think I saw DJ Dallas went to Seattle.
0: Well, the 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 uber-productive linebacker, Shaquille Quarterman.
1: Oh, right. He went to the Jags. That's
0: right. He, he went to the Jags just before DJ Dallas. I think one of them went in the fourth round, like, with 140th pick, and then DJ was 144th or something. And then the other two guys, um, K.J. Osborne, the receiver, went to the Vikings in the fifth round, and Jonathan Garvin, the defensive end, went to the Packers – in the seventh round. And, you know, it, it, to any longtime uh, Hurricanes fans, that's sad because this used to be the pipeline to the NFL. You know, Miami would have one, two, three first rounders every year. And now, you know, the, the former pipeline leader has become day three university. Um, <laughs> you know, FIU and FAU had players drafted before any hurricane was drafted.
1: James Morgan, the quarterback, the quarterback from FIU, went in the fourth round.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and FAU had a tight end picked. I, I wish I could remember his name, but um, you know, this tells you all you need to know about the talent level at Miami and, and that it's not where it needs to be yet. Um, that's a real barometer to me. You know, everybody obsesses about uh, recruiting grades and, and grading the, the, the class of all these 18 year old kids who are coming into your program. A much better barometer is the NFL draft, which grades the talent you had in that program when these kids started to grow up, and Miami needs to recruit better players and coach them up better, uh, because when your top draft pick uh, is is in the middle of the fourth round, um, you do not have elite talent on your roster.
1: I think this also speaks to Canes fans being delusional at this point because. The way they've been talked about by Canes fans, you would have thought that these guys were going to be first, second, at least third-round picks. Right. But yeah. like that just kind of proves like Canes fans are just hoping and reaching for this talent when it's just not what it used to be.
0: Well, Shaq Quarterman was arguably one of the most productive linebackers Miami has ever had.
1: It feels like he played with them for like 10 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was a four-year starter. Great in the interview room. I mean, he just represented – The canes well but again you know he was passed by 139 times before a team took a chance on him so there's something in his football dna that that didn't necessarily rise to nfl standards according to uh, a lot of teams and again um needs to just recruit better and coach them up better uh, or else they're never going to be back to that alabama and clemson type level
3: all right
1: should we get into this interview
0: let's do it I'm excited um I I love Tim Kirchin. uh you know he's he and I are about the same age we're old souls and um
1: I felt like how delightful was his son though I feel like his son was because we didn't know like obviously we all were aware of Tim Kirchin, but like his the way Jeff sounds he sounds like his dad he's just so nice I was blown away by these I mean they're the Kirchens. (laughs) They are. There should be
0: a sitcom called The Curtains. They really should. uh, And Tim should be in a bathrobe, you know, that type thing. But uh, yeah, I had never spoken to Jeff or heard him on the air. And my heart smiled when I heard that he sounded just like his dad, who has a very distinctive, you know, sort of a high-range, distinctive voice. And they sound alike. And, And it's a fun interview. Let's do it. Jeff, your dad cut out every baseball box score from newspapers for 20 years in a row. What did you make of that weird behavior?
3: Well, I think it definitely contributed to my now struggle with some sort of OCD that he has kind of given on to me with (laughs) with the way I organized my life. But seriously, when he says he never missed a day, we every year for years with our families would go to the Outer Banks in August, middle of the baseball season, but dad would just grab a couple days off there And he would go drive. We'd stay in a beach house in the middle of nowhere. And he would go drive an hour to find one newspaper that has all the scores. He'd go to every little mom and pop store, every little gas station on the corner that has one pump, just to make sure he finds it. So this obsession, though hilarious, really did teach me about like, well, this is really important to him. And this is something he cares about. And before the internet, and that's all stuff I had to teach him, by the way, is how to find those online when, when that was all over. Here, Dad, you can just scroll and you can see them all. Look at that. We can print it out for you if you want. Um, but, I mean, it really does. I mean, it really did help him study, and I looked up to it. I said, that's hard work right there. That's If, that's, if you want to be as good as Dad is at what he does, that's the kind of commitment you need.
0: Kim, you're old like me. You've lived through a World Series being canceled. You've lived through shortened seasons because of labor strife, but this is different. How has no baseball uh, during all this affected you?
4: Well, I miss the games mostly. There's there's no substitute for the games, and there's no substitute for being at the ballpark. So I can write as much as I want. I can do as many, much TV as I want, but there's no substitute for being at the ballpark, and of course, that's what I miss the most. And of course, I miss the box scores first thing in the morning because that gets me jump-started into the day. But being at the games, I think we've gotten away from watching the games today. I think we're watching our computer screens. I think we're looking at a set of statistics instead of watching the guys play. That's what I miss the most, and that's why I'm praying for this to come back, so we can watch the players play.
1: You know, there's the reports about playing only in Arizona and Florida. What are you hearing on that front?
4: Yeah, I talk to people Not every day, but I just talked to a couple players the other day and said nothing has been recommended that makes any sense so far. But I think in the end we're all going to have to come around to the fact that if we're going to play this year, we're going to play in front of You know, no fans. And whatever we think is ridiculous now is probably going to be ridiculous later because this is going to be the strangest baseball season ever. So just get strapped in for something really weird because even though we say this is unacceptable, an unacceptable solution is going to have to happen if we're going to play any games this year.
0: Tim, um, I wonder, the the Phoenix plan um, would remove players – from their families for four and a half months and essentially quarantine them in hotels. Is that fair to the players to be removed from their families during a pretty stressful time for that long a period?
4: It is not worth it. Clayton Kershaw said the other day, look, I can put up with seven innings. I can put up with no fans, but you're not going to let me spend four months away from my my family. That's not happening. And, and all the players that I've talked to essentially have said the same thing. So. That is an unacceptable situation, and I don't see the union going along with that. But as far as starting without fans, I think we better all understand that's going to happen if we're going to play this year.
1: Jeff, a couple years ago, I don't know when it was, there was a video that surfaced of your dad dancing at a wedding. Can you give me the story about that?
3: Yeah, so I got hit up by Jason Stark at the time with ESPN, and, and he said, well, hey, your dad brought up on the Seamhead edition of Baseball Tonight that he's going to a wedding and it kind of casually will do dance at weddings. Yeah, I don't dance at weddings. No. So he said, if he ends up dancing, take a video. So I took a video of it and I sent it to Jason. And that's kind of how it came about. I will say my dad constantly asks me as I grew up in like kind of a musical theater background. That, that's where I come from is I played sports as a kid and then eventually learned that performing was really where I love to shine. And constantly, who, who taught you how to do, can you show me how to do that one move, the, the, the 24 karat magic Bruno Mars, what is that, and so, I, I, you know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but dad's on Zoom right now, and this is a new trick, so I'm very proud of you for making it on here. And Chris, they
4: ambushed me on baseball tonight. I had no idea this was coming. This is, by the way, the first time I've, I've talked to Jeffrey since he ambushed me with that, with that video. I didn't know it was coming. So it was so bad. They made such fun of me. I tried to explain from the beginning, I'm more wooden than Pinocchio. I stink at dancing. And then they give me Bruno Mars. Uptown Funk You Up. What does that mean? No 58-year-old white guy with no rhythm whatsoever should be allowed to dance in a song whose primary lyrics are Uptown Funk You Up. That's why it was so bad, and I still will never forgive my son for that. Sorry, (laughs) Ned.
0: To this day, I have a big plastic tub filled with shoeboxes full of baseball cards that I collected. I'd say my baseball card prime was like 65 through 72 or something like that. Were you a baseball card guy as well as a kid?
4: Yeah, my dad used to take us to the Shoreham Hotel, where all the American League teams, uh, nationally, American League teams would come through when they played the Senators. So I got a ton of autographs back then. But I, I just got them on scraps of paper. And if I got them on a baseball card, I would put the card in between the spokes of my bicycle because I didn't care about that stuff. And, you know, Jeffrey's got all sorts of baseball cards that have never come out of the box. They're going to be act- have great value someday. I just never collected anything. I never thought that was the thing I should be doing. So I played with the cards instead of collecting them.
0: Tim, you can't still <clears throat> have insecurities at this point in your life. With all of your success, you got to be past that, right?
4: Uh- <laughs> No, no. I, every time I go on TV, I say, "Well, you know, this might be your last time on. You better do this well." I've written every day for like six straight weeks, and every day I hope my editor likes what I write. Every day I worry: is are people on the internet going to hate this? This is, you know, this Greg. This is how, this is how writers work. Where we're all our worst critics. We're all insecure. I think. It, continues to drive you every day. I know it drives me every day that can't ever say, hey, I've done this for a long time. You have to be good today because what happened yesterday really doesn't matter.
0: You're right about that. For example, when it comes to me, I don't read comments because I don't know how you feel, but there could be 50 favorable comments, but if there's one or two negative comments, those are the comments I'm going to remember.
4: Well, that's exactly the way that I am, and that's why I don't read them very often, but uh, when I do, I get prepared saying, all right, let's be thick-skinned about this, because some days I get I get a little upset internally.
0: All right, that was a lot of fun. Thank you, Tim Kirchin and his son, Jeff. Um, very enjoyable listening to them. Uh, hey, before we get to Clark Spencer and his super horse... Um, I want to mention that promotion we did um, uh, in the Zoom room last week where we invited three podcast listeners to answer a couple of questions and uh, a lot of people answer uh, a entered, couple of questions or do whatever. What were they supposed to do? I don't know.
1: <laughs> last week's episode, if you retweeted the episode and followed the Greg Cody show on Twitter, we picked three of those people that did that. And we had a Zoom half hour during the second round on Friday night of the draft. Yeah, a happy half hour, right? Yeah, which turned into like over an hour because it was such a fun time.
0: It was, yeah. And Billy Gill dropped in from the Levitard show. It was a, it was a blast. And and the three uh, podcast listeners who were picked uh, randomly, one was from Oklahoma City. Uh, a lovely young lady was from Green Bay, and we had a guy from just outside San Diego. So they were all over the country, and and that pleased me because though we're a Miami-based podcast, we're thrilled when people far and wide. Uh, listen to us. And, and that was a fun thing. I think we've got to figure out a way to do that again and involve
1: it's a people. It's a good thing that once we learned that we have people listening from all over the country, that we just spent a half hour only talking Dolphins.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but we're going to do a separate podcast for every other team in the NFL. So stay, <laughs> stay, stay tuned for that. Uh, Next Monday, the Lions. <laughs> right, exactly. Let's move on now because I'm excited to uh, welcome our friend Clark Spencer to the podcast and let him talk about a pretty incredible little story. And and you see this in horse racing occasionally. You know, horse racing has all these groups that you know where like five friends will get together and they'll buy into a horse, and it's a total crapshoot. Ninety percent of the time, you're you're throwing your money down the drain. But if you get lucky, all of a sudden you've got a great horse who's not only winning races and one win away from the kentucky derby but maybe the stud fees down the road are going to be enormous and all of a sudden you're making big money from your small investment that can happen and uh and clark spencer is going to talk about that a little bit we are happy to be speaking right now with clark spencer who for 20 years was the uh, marlins baseball writer for the miami herald and and just recently retired uh, I had the pleasure of writing his story because it's pretty interesting. Um, uh, here here are the two go-to quotes uh, that I fell in love with. Number one, uh, Clark says, th- this meaning his uh, getting into horse owning. He says, this all started when I got hit in the balls my last day on the job. That's a money quote. Okay, if somebody tells me that, I want to know more. And his other quote that uh, that I really loved was when he, he was giving advice to somebody else about owning a racehorse and buying into one, his advice was just be prepared that you're going to lose every dime you put in. Well, he bought a racehorse, and it turned out to be Governor Morris. Who, if you're into thoroughbred racing, uh, that's an up-and-coming horse who has a great chance. Just just ran in the Florida Derby and has a great chance to uh, to make the eventual, we hope, Kentucky Derby. Uh, so, Clark, um, put in digest form for us how you went from a recently retired guy looking for a hobby. And, and all of a sudden, you're owning a piece of a pretty successful horse.
2: So I took, you know, I accepted the uh, Miami Herald's uh, early retirement buyout. This is probably like end of last February. And my last day on the job, Training in Jupiter covering the Marlins. I was just hanging out down the right field line and foul territory, looking at my phone. And all of a sudden, I hear, heads up, heads up. And by the time I looked up, it was too late. The ball was re- descending rapidly, too rapidly for this old man to move. And it hit <laughs> me in the bullseye area. And uh, I went down hard and fast. And in the background, I could hear Juan Pierre, because he was out coaching. He was helping the Marlins outfielders. I hear him, Clarky, Clarky. And that's what the players used to call me was Clarky. Everybody's got a nickname. Clarky, right. you all right? You all right? Which I wasn't all right. I was gasping for breath. And then I looked up, I saw two right fielder shag. And they're looking over, okay, is he going to pass out or is he going to die? And uh, fortunately, it survived. And that was my last day on the job. And, you know, I had to come up with something to do after that. And I bought a set of golf clubs and I bought a horse or bought a piece of a horse.
0: And may I say the horse ownership is going a little bit better than the golfing so far?
2: Uh, much Much better. Put into
0: perspective how rare it is that you buy a piece of a horse and and you hit the jackpot with
2: it? We still haven't made up all our money yet. Uh, We bought a $720,000 horse. Now, I didn't buy all. I only bought a small piece. But, you know, you've got the initial expense of the horse. I mean, they're not cheap. And then you've got the the training costs. And you've got to feed them. And you've got to put new horseshoes on them once a month. And they have veterinarians. And they have dentists and acupuncturists. And so... These costs add up over time, and, and they're pretty expensive. I and mean, they call it the sport of kings for a reason.
0: Gouverneur Morris ran in, in the recent uh, Florida Derby, which is a major prep race for Triple Crown season, and finished fourth, uh, started slow, came on strong. Um, how weird was it? The Florida Derby ran with no spectators, no media. Even an owner like yourself couldn't get in the park. Where did you end up watching the race from, and how strange was that for you to be 10 or 12 miles away from seeing him run in the Florida Derby and being
2: unable to? Oh, uh, really strange, you know. And I mean, I'd covered the Florida Derby. I probably covered 20 of them. And, but I watched it from home, and uh, we didn't win. He made a nice run at the end. He's still in the picture. I mean, that was the toughest three-year-old race of the year uh, for Kentucky Derby preps. Now, obviously, as everyone knows, the Kentucky Derby got moved back from the first Saturday in May to the first Saturday in September. So, as you wrote, the Derby kind of lost that little bit of luster the Florida Derby did as a lead into the Kentucky Derby this year. But it was weird.
0: You were a former president of the Baseball Writers Association of America. So I want you to uh, break news. I want you to make national news here uh, by revealing on my podcast Who was the lone voter who didn't vote for Derek Jeter? Because I know you know. I know you either know it or have heard a rumor. I
2: don't know, and I haven't heard rumors. This one's, like, been so – kept so under wraps, it's amazing. So – but I was not the person. You know, my vote was – No, nor was I. Uh, It's amazing. You know, it's weird, Greg. We've seen the last two years – well, we saw last year, Mariano Rivera get in. He was unanimous, and Derek Jeter was one vote away. I mean, come on, Mariano Rivera. I mean, I voted for him. I would have voted for him anyway. But his first unanimous guy, the greatest player. You yeah, know, to get in a
0: relief oh. pitcher. Yeah, that was weird to me too. Yeah. But but on the ballot, you, you there's a box that says I want to make my ballot public, and you have to check it. Shouldn't all ballots be public?
2: Yeah, the baseball did. This was a few years ago, um, saying we wanted to do that. You had to make it public. It was mandatory. But the Hall of Fame. Who kind of controls what we do? Said no, you can't do that. So we put the option box on there, which is the best we could come up with.
0: Clark, sooner or later, when we get back to norm, uh, you and I are eventually going to get together again for a, a beer and a, a round of bad golf,
2: very bad golf. <laughs> right.
0: Okay. All right. I'll see you, buddy. Thanks. Thanks right. for dropping by thanks the podcast.
2: Back. See you. All right.
0: All right. Thank you, Clark. Really appreciate that. That was fun. And and thanks again to Tim Kirchen and his son for joining us earlier in the pod. Uh, we want to wrap it up now. I want to... Oh, wait, wait. Christopher, didn't you tell me you had something to say about a future podcast?
1: Solid acting there by you, Greg. I definitely told you 10 seconds before that that I had an announcement, but that was very seamless. I couldn't tell right. at all. That, yeah. that seemed very natural. But yes, It really I, did. I do have an announcement to make about an upcoming Greg Cody show with Greg Cody podcast episode. We are in communication with a man by the name of Greg Cody to have an interview with. I believe we will have the interview this week, so it will be on next week's episode. I don't know for sure. I don't have it fully ironed out yet, so it might be in two weeks, but I would say there's a 74% chance that next week Greg (laughs) Cody will be interviewing Greg Cody.
0: On the Greg Cody Show with Greg
1: Cody. Oh. Wow. Wow. I could not be more excited. My my I'm smiling just thinking about it.
0: Yeah, I don't know whether to be excited or scared and mortified, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out.
1: Hey, didn't you say earlier in the episode that this is the first sporting event we've had since the start of this podcast? I don't um, really, I I don't really think that's true.
0: You know, I probably did say that because it feels like it did. We, our first podcast was March 2nd and everything started shutting down like 9 or 10 days later. So it, it sort of feels like it's been five years since we've had actual sports to talk about. And, and the NFL draft uh, qualifies for me in a way that uh, maybe the first uh, thing we talked about
1: didn't. So kind of like a tomato-tomato type thing.
0: Zagaki. Anyway, hey, podcast family, thank you all for joining us again. We really appreciate you coming back to the podcast every single week. And next week, of course, we have a huge anniversary show because it'll be episode number 10. So there's probably going to be like party hats and balloons and a cake in the room. So join us then for sure. Thanks again. See you next time. Stay safe out there. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.